So this event in the life of John the Baptist in many ways foreshadows Jesus' death on the cross. It's um, both In both cases, Jesus and John, cowardly men capitulate to some power above them. Um, and, and we see that for a follower of God, it doesn't always end well. A servant is not greater than his master, Jesus says. And so if they treated John with this cruelty, if they treat Jesus with this cruelty, then they will do the same to you. And John the Baptist's life perfectly illustrates what we might expect if we faithfully follow God. Now, I just said that sentence in my, my mouth, but my brain doesn't get it, right? And probably yours doesn't either, that there may come a time where this is what we are called to. Uh, it happens all the time in other countries, and we'll see an example of that at the end of the, end of the message, where people are called to a, a life, if they either have to choose between themselves or following the Lord, they often um, will choose Jesus, and things don't end well for them in, a, in the worldly. So here's the, the, um, the general thought today. Faithful service to God may, may cause the kings of this world to oppose you, even kill you, but it will bring great pleasure and glory to the true King Jesus. The question is, is where is our heart? As times get tough, where do, we, where do we stand? People will oppose us. Despite the good that Christians do, they will oppose us and even kill us. But the question is, do we serve them or do we serve the great king? So the first thing to understand is simply this. Jesus is often misunderstood. As clear as the gospel and the teachings of Christ might be to us, he is often misunderstood. Let me read verses 14 through 16 again. King Herod heard about this. That is, the things that Jesus was doing, the things his disciples were doing. For Jesus' name had become well-known, and some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and this is why miraculous powers are at work in Jesus. And others said, no, he's Elijah. And others still claim he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. So it's striking here to see the many different ways of, of understanding Jesus' ministry there were. People had tons of ideas who Jesus was, despite the clear indication of what Jesus was telling them and what they were seeing. They should have known exactly who he was, but people often have different ideas, despite what they see, despite the evidence that um, is before, before them. Some saw him as Elijah. Again, remember that the Jewish nation expected Elijah to return before Jesus, uh, the Messiah, would come. Uh, others saw him, at least he was just a prophet like many of the others. Uh, Herod, I think, his guilty conscience got a hold of him, and he thought that it was John, despite knowing that John and Jesus were born roughly around the same time. He didn't get his timeline straight, but guilt can do a lot to a person. And he had this thing about uh, having John killed, and um, and, uh, and, and he was uh, probably haunted by it uh, the rest of his life. Jesus is often misunderstood by his contemporaries, and after 2,000 years of history between the life of Christ and us, he is still misunderstood. Time has increased that misunderstanding. And also, uh, I think the, the, the problems with Christians throughout the history of the world has caused misunderstandings. Things like the Crusades. Things like the witch trials all have brought confusion. Well, if followers of Jesus are like that, what exactly did Jesus teach? And followers, we've added uh, further to the misunderstanding about who Jesus is 
and what he has done for us. The point is this. We go about doing the work of God. Some may rejoice in those works and praise God for them. They might not even be believers, but they go, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to go out and feed people when they're hungry. They may praise God for that. Others may oppose us and reject us, and still others may actually fear us. They don't like what we say or what they do. They don't understand why we do or what we say and what we do. And, but they can't deny, maybe, that God is at work. And they see the miracles. They see the evidence. They see the life lived in a worthy way for Jesus. But they don't connect those two things, that Jesus is life and the way we live life. So we can never downplay, by the way, the spiritual warfare that is going on here. People are never our enemies. We have to say this over and over and over again because this is where the church has gone wrong over the uh, Muslims. We get a crusades. We get to attack them because they're the enemy. Witches, are the, and we got we to destroy them. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers, against Satan who's trying to work his ways. And so we can't forget that when people are against us, it's really not just people. It's the spiritual dynamic. They are lost, they are darkened, and they are attacking that which they don't know. And so Mark begins the story by calling Herod King Herod. He is not a king. Uh, this is a title that Herod demanded from locals, though he never received it from Rome. Uh, this is not Herod the Great, the Herod that was around when Jesus was born. This is one of Herod's sons, Herod Antipas. He was a tetrarch. When Herod the Great died, his kingdom was split into four areas, and um, three of his sons got those areas. So he was uh, king over a part of those areas. Um, he wanted to be like his father, but he never really ruled as a king. He was simply a governor, I guess is the best modern word for it. He ruled over Galilee and Perea until about A.D. 39. He constantly requested the, uh, the title of king from Emperor Augustus, and Emperor Augustus never said you could have that title. He never granted him the title of king like he had did for his father. Uh, later on, um, his nephew, Herod Agrippa, uh, actually received the title of king from Caligula. Caligula. Uh, this was about AD 37. And so, uh, obviously, Herod Antipas is very je jealous. So he goes to Caligula and goes, hey, can I be king? And at that point, Caligula said, no, you can't be king. Matter of fact, you've asked too much, and so I dismiss you, and I send you to an island to be to, into exile. And that's where he died, in exile. So uh, it finally got to him. He listened to the wrong people. Uh, and so that's kind of his life. And so when Mark says King Herod, he's really mocking who he is. He's not really a king. He thinks he has power, but he's really not in power. What's interesting to me is not in this scripture here. A little bit later on, it says this about Herod. Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Uh, so I think what's going on here, Herod liked to listen to John, but he was puzzled about what he was teaching about repentance. And, um, and I think what's going on, what happens with a lot of people, I think Herod wanted to live a godly life, but he wasn't willing to give up all of his stuff, all of his ambition for being great in the world's eyes. He felt compelled to, to listen to John over and over and over again, but he was too weak to actually follow John's counsel. And instead, he followed Herodias' counsel, which ultimately brought it to his own downfall. People will misunderstand us. 
as they misunderstood Jesus, and they will um, be perplexed like Herod sometimes. Sometimes they will listen to us and not understand and say, you can be a good spiritual person and I'll be a good spiritual person. There's lots of responses, like the soils we talked about. But ultimately, sometimes people will hate us because of simply what we believe. And there's a spiritual dynamic behind that that will cause much pain and persecution upon us if we seek to follow Jesus uh, in the way uh, of discipleship. So be aware that Jesus will be misunderstood. You might preach the clearest gospel or present the clearest Jesus. doesn't mean they will understand it because their minds have been darkened. They won't understand things that are spiritual uh, because they don't have the Holy Spirit like we have been gifted with. It doesn't mean we're better than them. Don't get that idea either, right? It just means we have been blessed because we have a righteousness that is not our own, and we seek to tell others that same, there's hope in Christ. The second thing is this. Injustice in this world, persecution, all that stuff, must be understood in the light of the cross. If you don't have a grasp of what the cross means, then injustice is simply injustice. And what you'll end up doing is going around going, that's not fair, that's not fair, and, and expecting it to be fair. Right? You hear that all the time today, right? It's not fair. It's not fair. And the expectation is life is supposed to be fair. It's not fair. Never will be on this side of eternity. And the cross is the indication that things will be made fair. So let me read through this passage again, what Herod does. And what I want you to do as I read through it this time is think about what is going on in the, in the minds of these characters what is the motivation? Because the motivation behind what Herodias does and what uh, the daughter does, Salome, and what uh, Herod does and what the people in the crowd are doing, there's motivations behind these actions that are still the motivations for people today. It says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had bound him and put him in prison. By the way, that might have been for his protection, because Herodias had it in for him, so she might have tried to have him assassinated. So John might have just put him in prison to protect him, maybe, right? So we don't know. But he did this because of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. So you see, he understood righteousness and holiness, but yet threw him in prison, right? Um, weird. Uh, when, John heard, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for high officials, military commanders, and leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and, and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give to you up to half my kingdom." Uh, she went out and she said to her mother, uh, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner, deaths, dinner, dinner guests, man, uh, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head in a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. 
Just to kind of give you some context of that, um, this really happened on the screen. Next shot here. This is a, a hill. On top is a actually a, 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 a palace, I guess you'd call it, called Macaris. This is where this is happening. This is where John the Baptist is being beheaded. It's called the Fortress of Macaris. Uh, Herod the Great built two fortresses, one on the Israel side of Dead Sea called Herodium, and on the other side where uh, Jordan is today was Macaris. Next slide. As we get close, this is kind of the remains of what that of the palace and the area around it. Um, it was a palatial, beautiful, with mosaics and uh, very uh, high-end cut uh, um, granite and also um, different types of stones that were imported from different areas as well. Very, very opulent in its day. Oh. Next slide. This is a, a cave uh, along the edge of that, that mound area there. Uh, caves were all along this area. When we think of jail, don't think of like a, a prison like we have today. What jails and prison were in, in this time were either caves or cisterns where they held water that would drop you in the hole in the ground, like, like Joseph and his brothers put him in a well, right? And so you would be dropped into a hole in the ground or put in a cave. That was your prison. And so it would have been something like this, guarded that John would have been in. And then finally, the next slide here, uh, aerial view of that area. So this is what it looks like today, not very palatial. Uh, ruins, but back in the day, next slide, it would have looked something like, like that. And so, um, very opulent, and so John finds himself, you know, Herod Antipas was bringing his friends and his family and people that he wanted to show his authority over to this place and um, for a big party, and then the party turns bad for Herod and for John. So the details here um, of this story really are pretty common, uh, unfortunately, for followers of Christ. We have a, a fearless prophet, someone who proclaims the word uh, boldly. We have a, a weak king, a ruler who is weak. Uh, we have a woman who is vindictive. We have a, a girl who is really shameless. This is a teenage girl, probably, who is entertaining party guests with, with, a, with a dance. And we have a lonely death that really no one really recognizes at the time. Um, and the question is, where is God's power? Where is God's authority in these situations? When God's man is thrown into a hole in the ground and someone who is spiritually corrupt with people around him who are spiritually corrupt take advantage of someone who is following God? Where is God in all this? E even John himself was tempted to ask those questions. In Matthew 11, he's questioning Jesus. He's questioning, did I do the right thing? Is Jesus the Messiah? Even John in this dark time is questioning, wh where is God in all this? The only way we can answer this question is in light of the cross. When Jesus himself walked the same path of undeserved suffering for us, for the cross, in spite of its apparent weakness, like that song we sang, the, the victory of the cross, right? That, that, it seems to be weak, it seems to be foolishness, but it's actually our victory, our power. That, that cross, it's, it's God's power leading to salvation. And if Jesus took this path, and John took the path as well, then all of his followers, including us, must be prepared to take this path. And again, I know what you're thinking. I think the same thing. Yeah, but not now, not here, 
not, not, not in the future. Not, not my kids, not my grandkids. Do you know how fast it changes? Regimes change like that, and world governments change like that, and persecution comes like that. It could happen at any time. And that's why God calls us to walk intimately with him day by day, because at any point, our faith could be challenged. We need to accept that the ungodly will use ungodly means to get us. They will. Um, Herod threw a birthday party for himself. Uh, now, remember that Herod is part Jewish, uh, and the Jews at that time view, viewed birthday parties as pagan events. Right? And so they didn't like that at all, but he's doing that in spite of them. He's showing his authority, and Herod didn't care about that. Herod invited the important people from his kingdom. According to the Jewish historian uh, Josephus, uh, Herodias' daughter enters into the room filled with a bunch of men who are now drunk. Um, they are gawking at her. She is a teenager. Uh, Josephus says her name is Salome. That's her name, apparently. And, and Josephus says that she dances seductively, which greatly appeared to the drunken men in that room. And, and, uh, and so... Uh, the daughter Herodias and Philip was also, by the way, Herod Antipas's stepdaughter and niece. So there's these weird relationships because of all the intermarriage and intrigue. And, and this is how low Herodias stooped. She sends her teenage daughter to dance before a room of drunken men. Herodias cared more about the head of John the Baptist than he did and she did for the dignity and reputation of her daughter. And so this is, this is debauchery, this is, this is a mess. And so Salome dances and she, she pleases Herod and it guess. And, and it's the similar language to Esther chapter 5, that same promise, that oath, which is very common. Uh, if you please me, I'll give you anything you want up to this amount, no more than that. And so uh, Herod makes that vow and Herodias sees her chance. And she manipulates her daughter, her daughter manipulates Herod. And we see that Herodias gets what she wants through ungodly means in spite of God's mysterious providence. This is where it's weird, right? The ungodly do ungodly things, but God is still in control. God is still provident over all these things, and she succeeds, and it seems like a win. See, Herod feared displeasing his wife and losing face with her and man more than he feared God. He knew God. He knew about him. He listened to John. But he feared men more than God. And pride took him down. Pride will take you down all the time. Pride took down Satan, took down Adam, took down saint after saint after saint after saint. And it will continue to do that until we recognize that fearing God, pleasing God, is much more important than having prestige in the eyes of men. And so Herodias feared and hated John because he was right. And he pointed out her sin. And to Herodias, he was a cancer, he was a nuisance, and he had to be taken care of. And his head on a platter would solve all her problems, she thought. But it didn't solve all her problems because she doesn't have the perspective of the cross. And neither did Herod. So the story ends with the death of John and his burial, and almost the story is devoid of hope. His disciples come, and they bury John. The story ends like that. Evil apparently wins, unless, unless you have 
a cross with the promise that all will be made right. A promise that evil has already been defeated. See, it all comes down to our perspective. If we live in the moment with all the persecution, all the problems, and all the junk that comes into our life, if that's our only perspective, then we will be depressed, miserable, we will fall away from our faith. But if our perspective is on the cross, that that promise that everything will be made right and justice will happen, if that's our focus, then things are different. Things are different. What's your perspective? Is it right now, or is it through the eyes of the cross? So here's... This quick application. Number one, short-term injustices do not negate God's long-term plan. We live like that sometimes. Like this little injustice suddenly destroys our whole world. It doesn't negate what God is doing. God will always succeed. Today, no one has the name. No, I don't say, oh, new child coming. Why don't you name that child Herod? No one names their child Herod. Plenty of people are named John, right? No one names their son Pilate. In Latin America, plenty of people name their son Jesus, right? So who, whose perspective are we living from? Tombstones and graves are often megaphones for God to proclaim a life well lived. And we need to listen to those, those lies. Throughout history, the message of martyrs continues to ring loud and clear. Um, there are servants of Jesus around the world in the past and even today that we should look to as an awesome source of strength and endurance uh, in these hard times. They should be an encouragement to us. N- none of us fills that, that martyrdom sort of uh, ideal more than John the Baptist. He gave everything, gave his whole life for preparing for Jesus. And, and Herod and Herodias might have seemingly won by having John's head on a platter, but our Lord received the soul of John into heaven. What's our perspective? John lost his head. Herod and Herodias lost their souls. In the end, in the end, there is no question who won and who lost. In the moment, it seems flipped, right? It seems like Herodias won. But at the end of all things, we know who won. And who lost? Where is our focus? And then just, we know this, bad things happen to good people all the time. Sometimes bad things happen to good people precisely because they're good people. Um, But there's more than meets the eye to what we're going through. From 1 Peter 4, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We should not be shocked, but we are. When bad things happen, we go, oh, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? And Peter says, you, don't be surprised. You shouldn't be shocked. It's not something strange. This is normal. It's not strange. Bad things do happen to good people, but with the right perspective, perspective that looks at the cross, great things can happen to godly people who put it all on the line, even if you have to put your head on a platter. The truth of God's word and and God's name will always come through when we put it on the line. In the end, we are victorious. The cross of defeat means victory. Seemingly, 
ungodly people like Herodias who get the upper hand think they've won, but in the end they've just secured their defeat because the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of human beings. Let me read this, let me read this verse to you, these verses, excuse me, from 1 Peter. Listen to Peter's perspective. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you. That's the perspective right there. That's, that's where we live. Who, through faith, are shielded by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though... This is the present. Though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes even though, which, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the perspective we're called to have. So no matter what comes through, we are looking forward to salvation that is going to be revealed in fullness. And what we're going through is just a little while, no matter how intense, it's still a little while compared to the glory that, that, is, that is about to await us. The story repeats itself today, over and over. It's repeating itself, right. that story that we just read is happening someplace in the world right now. The characters are different, but the way it's playing out is exactly the same. So as part of our application today, I want to watch a short movie about persecution in uh, one example, and then we're going to take our prayer time and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world that are being persecuted. So let's um, watch this movie as a way of applicating uh, this message today.